Good morning, church. All right, are we live? We're good? All right, could I have the elders uh, come forward? Also, Brandon and Christian Ward, you come forward as well. When you are a missional church, uh, which we are, you, uh, you can't get too close-fisted with your missionaries. Uh, you have a lot of people uh, that come through um, that you love, and you'd rather hold on to them because you love them. And uh, you watch them grow up, you watch them mature, and you get them ready, and then other people uh, get to use their talents and gifts because that's what God does. And uh, we have a wonderful couple uh, that grew up here. Uh, in the sense that they came to Christ uh, through our college ministry, and uh, and now they're going to go out. And so we want to have a special blessing, and Robert's going to have that uh, blessing in prayer for them. Yes, earlier we um, blessed Christian. Well, um, Brandon's going with her. <laughs> I really have to be a little lighthearted because I'm, I'm kind of um, sad about this because I love these guys so much. And... Uh, you know, earlier today there was a lot of songs and a lot of talk and a lot of prayers about gratitude. And I never think of these two without thinking of that because their hearts are filled with gratitude. And it always spills out. You can only be around them a few minutes. And, and you sense that. You know that they're grateful. And a grateful heart's attractive. And um, I think that's why we, he came to us once and said, hey, how can I help with the youth? And we said, yeah, come on. And uh, he learned a lot. He's taken it somewhere else, far away. Uh, his wife is um, a huge help. I've heard it said that behind every great man is a great woman rolling their eyes. And so <laughs> sometimes that's the case. Um, but we want to pray over you guys and send you off. Got a little gift for you here. Um give the gift to Christian, and the guy gets to hold the card. That's just the way it works. Look, we really are grateful for you. I mean, and um, our hearts are full, uh, mixed emotions, sadness, um, but yet really looking forward to where you're going, what you're going to be doing. And your your beautiful voice is going to bless a lot of people. Your wisdom and biblical knowledge and and just... (laughs) I've often said about Brandon, one of the most colorful people I've ever known. And I, I'm not just talking about his hair and his shoes. And his, he's got his personality is just huge, great big personality. It fills up the room, and so we're thankful for him. Uh, we're going to pray over you and uh, send you on your way, brother. Father, we um, are truly, truly grateful for this couple. Uh, and Father, our hearts are full and we just pray God that you will fill them up with your spirit as they go forward that they will wake up each day and fan the flame that you've placed in them that they may the fire in them may spread that they um, Father will be just your instruments of peace wherever they go pray for wisdom for courage and I pray, God, that you keep 
letting them have grateful hearts. I pray that they'll always remember to do that. Pray that they walk humbly before you. And Father, that you bless every step they take. Pray for safety, good health. Father, more than anything, I pray that they continue to praise you with what few days they have here on this earth. Thank you, Father, for them. We love them so, so much. Such a special couple. And uh, God, we, uh, we just thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah. never really say goodbye because we know there's going to be a great reunion in heaven and we're going to reach a lot of people as a part of that process so it is really amazing how many people have our spiritual DNA that come through this place here in West Monroe Brandon and Christian have been a great blessing to many here and so we are going to miss seeing them go to that ugly place called Colorado I guess Labor out there, leave the beautiful confines of Louisiana. Uh, Kaylee Bird, are you here? There she is. Come on up. Kaylee's going to read our scripture today. It says here that Kaylee is a 16-year-old West Washita student. And it says here her back is made mostly of titanium. Is that true? Yeah. I like a girl with a spine, don't you? That's <laughs> good. Come on up, Kaylee. It's a random fact. I love that. All right. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I'm the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep rustlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better than they, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. John 10, 6 through 10. Thank you, Kaylee. A girl with a stiff spine. I love it. Um, so, living my best life is the name of our sermon today. And we're coming from the uh, Funky Fellowship Center today. If you hadn't noticed, those of you live stream, it's a little different setting today, and I'm excited about that. I love this room, it's got a lot of history for me. I've shared with you before, but I've never had a chance to preach here and beam into the other room, which I'm super excited about. It's usually the other way around. But due to technology, uh, we're able to move around the place a little bit, which I love. Uh, I was in this room in 1974 when my mom submitted her life to Christ at a gospel meeting uh, led by Jimmy Allen. You know, in the Churches of Christ, you had to say gospel meeting. You couldn't say it was a crusade, right? We didn't want to get confused with other people. But it was a gospel meeting right here in this room when Mom submitted to Christ. It, our lives would be more difficult because it would be another year before in this same room that Dad would submit to Christ and was baptized right behind me uh, with the three little boys watching. And so this room has a special meaning for me. I would be in the same room when I watched William H. Smith cloud up like a thunderstorm and preach a sermon. 
that I would get to witness as a young boy and really start a spiritual journey uh, in this place called White's Ferry Road. And so a lot of meaning. I would get to teach my first big Bible class uh, in this room as a freshly minted White's Ferry Road School graduate. Uh, so this, this room has special meaning. So I'm excited today to get to preach to you uh, this sermon, Living My Best Life. And I spent most of my life here at this special place. And so uh, it means a lot to me. Last week, Peter challenged us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 to be prepared to have an answer uh, for the hope that we have, right? And that answer is that the Spirit-led message is timeless. And we even went all the way back to the days of Noah, to where a message of faith and hope was present, even though most of the world at that time would not listen. Noah, for a hundred years, had a message. You need to listen. It's going to rain. This world's coming to an end. I'm going to build a big boat, and you better get on the boat. Trust me, it's going to happen. Most people did not. And so that same water that rose up and saved him through that ark drowned the entire world at that time. And God wanted every one of them to listen, and yet they didn't. You see, judgment was coming, but they wouldn't listen. But there was a message of hope given through the Holy Spirit. And that same message we have to this very day. Today, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be challenged that all this talk of suffering and submission and salvation has a huge life-changing moment for us. If we believe, if we submit, if we obey, then we truly can live the best life. And it really is the best life. When you look over at Hebrews chapter 13, you read about some of the greatest people. I believe even better than us because we can look back. I love Jared's communion talk over here this morning the Fellowship Center because he's right. We can look back and we can see those great moments of who Jesus is and what he did. And it was so powerful that we can look back and say, man, we have those moments to look back to. But, you know, all the people that lived before Jesus, I mean, they had to look ahead. They had to believe that God, who, who he is, who he says he was, in looking ahead in faith. That took a lot. There's a reason why there's a Hebrews Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. That took great faith. And they lived their best life, believing ahead that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. So let's read First Peter Chapter 4, and see what this best life looks like. When it starts out, it's not so great. He says, therefore, in verse 1, since Christ suffered in his body, back to what he said at the end of chapter 3, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So he's referring back to what he said at the end of chapter 3. Christ died for sins. He was put to death. In the body. Therefore, he says, we should be like Christ. We should put to death sin. Verse 2. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desire, 
but rather for the will of God. Why would we want to go back to the old ways? We've put that to death. Just like Christ died for us, why would we want to go back and live for evil desire? For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. What's that? Living in debauchery. There's an old word we don't use much anymore, right? Debauchery. You say, what does it mean? I don't know, but it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Debauchery. What does it mean? Lust, drunkenness. We know those, right? Orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. Well, we know that, don't we? I tell you this, when you really live reckless, you harm yourself and you harm other people. Reckless. They heap abuse on you for not living like they do. But they will have to give an account to him, and check this out, who's ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, there's judgment for reckless living. It happens now and later. Many of us can attest to that. Amen? For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead. Which this goes back to what he said earlier, all the way back to the flood. Everybody will be judged for what they do. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. And here's a great but. But. Live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So what do we die to according to this text? The change from from being flesh-driven to being Spirit-led is putting to death my will for the will of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. Putting to death that which I want to do or others want me to do. That's the change that we're talking about. Now, I think Paul really paints the picture even better than Peter does here in Romans 6 through 8. So I'm going to give you an assignment this week to dive into this a little bit deeper. Can I give you an assignment to maybe just do a little bit of Bible study this week? You want to study this a little deeper? I want you to read Romans 6 through 8 this week. And study this a little deeper, because Paul lays it out so beautifully. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. I'm going to read you just a little bit of Romans 6, because at the end of chapter 5 in Romans, he makes this great statement. He says that our sinfulness, which is what Peter's describing here, it's bad, right? And we recognize that. I mean, our wild living, our reckless living, it's bad. And we can, we can attest to that. Can I get an amen that we've done some bad things? And as bad as it is, the righteousness and the grace of Christ is greater. Can I get an amen to that? Because it is greater, right? We recognize it's greater. So in response to that great statement at the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul, at the beginning of Romans 6, Ask an amazing question. He says, so what do we say then? Because that's a great statement. Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase. In other words, if this is such a good deal, if the grace of Christ is so amazing, and if you can't out it, then should we just go crazy? Just get more reckless and get more wild? No. Thank you, sister. By no means, he says in verse 2. No. Why? Because we died to that. That's what he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We died to that. Just like Christ died for us. Why would we want to? Why would we want to go back to reckless living? Didn't you remember how it was? Was it so great and so good? Didn't you get so many blessings from living that way? No. Reckless living brings pain, danger, brokenness, hurt, harm. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's exactly what Peter said at the end of chapter 3. Why would you want to live that way? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We don't want to live the old life. Freed from sin as our master, our motivator, our mentor. Who would want that old master back? It led us only into terrible things. We don't want to live that way. Paul goes on in Romans 7. I'll give you a clue. And he shows you what happens when you try to go back and live that back and forth life. Where maybe this day I'll take back the old sin master. And then tomorrow I'll drop it again. It's a terrible way to live. One day I'm in. One day I'm out. I'll take it back on tomorrow and I'll miserable. Who will rescue me, he says, from this miserable existence? But thanks be to God through the glory of Christ. And then he gets to Romans 8. And he says, you know what? I'm just going to surrender everything to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be spirit-led. And that's going to change everything. Now, look. Here's what we all of us would want. I call it the transitional surrender. Same thing we read about in Deuteronomy 6. I want to raise my children and my grandchildren in such a way that they would see it in me. And they would want it. And they would just transition and say, you know what? I, I see faith as such a blessing that I just want to grasp it. And I want to live it, and then I want to teach it to my kids and their kids, and then we want to have 20 straight generations of believers that love God and live it. And we don't ever even want to go off the reservation. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that what we want? But let's face it. We got an enemy. He's crafty. Oh, he's a schemer. Oh, he likes to come in. He likes to take away those transitional generations. And he picks us off. And most of us, let's face it, have to get to a hopeless, terrible situation before we submit. 
And I'm just telling it like it is. And so we got to just get out there and see. We got to try some recklessness. We got to try some wild living. And we got to see what it's about. And when we do, we find judgment. Because that's what this text tells us we're going to find. And we find it in this life. One thing's consistent about a person that's living a reckless life. There's not only do they find judgment for themselves, but there's somebody somewhere that's hurting as bad as they're hurting that prays for them every night in pain. You see, a reckless life doesn't just hurt you. It hurts someone that loves you. Is that not true? So there's two judgments. There's one you can look at and say, you know what, just like that kid in Luke 15, I don't want to stay in this pig pen anymore. I want to make a move. And there's many of you here today that have made that move. That's why you're here. And then there's another judgment. There's one you don't come back from because it's too late. And we read a lot about that in the Bible as well. That's the ones who aren't listening to me today. That's the scary one. That gets us to verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. You know what it says? The end of all things is near. What does he mean by that? It's pretty simple. The end of all things is near. What's the eschatology of that verse? Is he talking about the end of times or is he talking about ADC? Why don't we just talk about the end of all things is near for any of us? Is that not true? You know, you go somewhere and you look and somebody has a sign and holds it up and says, the end of all things is near. That's true for any of us. Last week we had the scripture reader up, Chase Johnson. I just happened to notice he was a senior from Western Ohio High School. I looked and I thought, man, that was me 40 years ago. You know what I thought? The end of all things is near. <laughs> Today we got Kaylee Bird comes up. Did you know that Lisa and I got married in her grandfather's living room 40 years ago? You know what I thought this morning, Kaylee? The end of all things is near. I don't have to see a sign. I just need a scripture reader to know the end of all things is near. That's for any of us. Right? I mean, this applies to us all. It goes by like that. The Bible tells us it's like a vapor. It's a whisper. I mean, it's quick. And if you're living a reckless life, it's a lot quicker. For many, judgment is there for us all. And the choices you make matter. So what do you do? He says, you better be alert. You better be looking. I mean, you get down to chapter 5 and he says we have an enemy that roars and like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. In other passages, said he's like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So he is therefore bold enough to roar, but he's sneaky enough to sneak that's somebody you got to be on the lookout for. That's how stealthy and yet how bold 
he is. Better be alert. Be sober-minded. Man, you go through drunk or high, you miss a lot. You miss the signs. You look up and it's over. Why? So that you may pray. Now, that's a huge statement. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a translator of weakness. Did you know that? And when you do your homework this week, you're going to read that at the end of Romans 8. It says the Holy Spirit translates our weaknesses and groans that we can't even understand or express to the Almighty God. Did you know that happens with the Holy Spirit to the creator of the universe between you and the creator? You need the Holy Spirit. Because it, it can communicate weaknesses that you can't even know you're communicating to the creator of the universe. Therefore, that's why you want to be alert and you want to be sober minded so that you open up the communication line between you and the creator. That's what prayer does. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. You say, well, I just don't know that I can understand the will of God. You can if you're alert and sober-minded, because that's when the Holy Spirit does his best work. That's how we understand the will of God. It's a spiritual awakening. And that's why those of you who before realized when you were living that reckless life, and now all of a sudden you're like, it's like I woke up. Amen. Yeah, you did. It was a spiritual awakening. You were flat out asleep, but now you're awake. And you say, well, what does that look like when you have an awakened, aware, spirit-led son or daughter of the Almighty God? Well, let me read it to you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Here's what your best life ever is going to look like. And this is not reckless at all. Above all, verse 8, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That sounds pretty good. Each of you should use whatever gift they've received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Oh man, who doesn't love to be served? If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Anybody love some praise and worship in this place? Woo! <laughs> yeah! Boy, that sounds better than drunken orgies. <laughs> to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And the church says, that sounds like a best life ever to me. Guilt-free, disease-free, 
conscience cleared, goodness abounds, generations, kids can be present. Man, it sounds like a pretty good life to me. Deep, sin-covering love. Grumbleless. There's a new word. Hospitality. A steward of grace. This last Thursday, Lisa and I were speaking in Martin, Tennessee. We're speaking for a group called Agape House. And it was a pregnancy center and medical center. And obviously they were there to try to, on behalf of the unborn, and to help men and women. Obviously, bad decision was made. Now what do we do? Lisa and I shared the stage with a 23-year-old beauty queen. She had the sash and the crown. Beautiful young woman. And the reason she was there is because her teenage mom had been faced with the decision about whether to have an abortion or not. She chose life. And we were getting to listen to the beauty queen that came forth. There was a 33-year-old young man named Jordan, Down syndrome. And he is, his mom spoke. And the mom was a teenage girl and had a decision to make. She knew she had a Down syndrome. The doctor was saying, you need to abort. This child will never live to be, he may not even be born live at all. They were both wearing T-shirts. That 33-year-old Down syndrome Jordan of the restaurant that he runs. Obviously, she made a wise choice. Employs 30 people. And then Lisa and I were talking about some of our choices. Lisa shared something that I felt like you needed to hear today. Because it goes right in line with this text that we're sharing. Babe, would you come up? I have no idea why I'm nervous. I speak to thousands of people all the time. I guess it's just looking out and seeing my own church family. You could say that I was destined to a life of drugs and alcohol and sexual sin. Born into it in a way. By the age of seven, I had seen it. And experienced it myself. But God. He always had a plan. One I didn't understand. And one I couldn't even imagine. I met my Prince Charming at age 11. I just knew he had to be the one. But it was not meant to be. Not yet. When I started the 10th grade, I came face to face with my Prince Charming once again, only to learn that he was neither charming nor a prince. He was just another manipulating male put in my life to take what he wanted 
and to leave a shell. What happened to that prince that I met at age 11? My destiny came back to call on me once again in the 11th grade. I was self-medicating my heartbreaks with sex, drugs, and alcohol. I had been taught at age 7 that my destiny in life would be to please men. Each relationship, including my Prince Charming, had affirmed that. What I was looking for always seemed to be just outside my reach. As I continued this debauchery, drunkenness, lust, and wild living, I added a new sin to my list. When I was 16, I found out I was pregnant. We decided that an abortion was the only option that I had. My parents told me that it was a glob of tissue because that's what they were told. I think it's really what we all needed to believe. You can now add murder to my destiny. In my senior year of high school, my Prince Charming came back around. Except this time he was charming and he was a prince. He was actually a son of the creator of the universe. He told me about a man named Jesus who had saved his life. And he shared that gospel story with me. And as much as I wanted a savior, as much as I wanted to be rescued and to have a changed life, I wanted something, someone that I could hold on to and that could hold on to me. So I made Alan the Lord of my life. He was my savior, my knight in shining armor that had rescued me. We were married November the 9th, 1984. We had two beautiful girls. Anna was born in 1986. Alex was born in 1987. And we miscarried a baby in 1988. Had my destiny finally changed? Al went to preaching school. And all the time I'm thinking... I'm not good enough. I can't be a preacher's wife. If they could only see what's in my heart. The darkness began once again to grow. It grew right here on the front row of the auditorium. It grew in Al's Bible class that I attended. It grew in our house church that we had in our home. It grew in the dark of night, and it grew in the light of day. The darkness grew everywhere. My destiny that Satan had given me was being fulfilled. But God, he always had a plan, one that I still didn't know and still couldn't understand. Not yet. Fifteen years into our marriage, I had an affair. 
There had been many breaches along the way in our relationship, but none to this magnitude. You see, Satan saved the best for last. His destiny for me fulfilled. Once again, you can add another mark on the wall. Adultery. Satan decided to do his greatest damage on the church with one of his ministry families. And he did. He inflicted hurt and pain and distrust and a few broken relationships. If only he could stop this ministry family from witnessing. But God. He had a plan. One that I was finally beginning to understand. After admitting to my husband, my Prince Charming, what I had done, who I really was, and who I had really been since the age of seven, I looked in the mirror, and I didn't even recognize the person that was looking back at me. How did I become this person? Who was she? I had everything that I thought I'd ever wanted or needed. I had my Prince Charming who loved me. I had my children. I had a beautiful home. I had a church family. I had friends. I had a great uh, in-laws and family that loved me. But I had been dragged away and enticed. And I fell for it. I went into our backyard, and I fell face first to the ground, hoping it would swallow me up, wishing I could dig a hole just to bury myself in. As I laid there, I cried out to God, a God I did not know, a God I did not yet believe in, a God who is not physically there to hold me like I thought I needed. And I simply asked, God, if you're really there, could you please come and rescue me? In that backyard, at that exact moment, I felt a physical release of Satan's destiny on my life. The God that I did not think could hold me picked me up. He plucked me right out of Satan's grasp, and he stood me on holy ground. I stand before you today not as perfect, but as forgiven. I stand before you not as guilty, but as redeemed. I stand before you to testify of God's goodness, his forgiveness, and grace that's available to each of us. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, the end is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply.
because love covers over a multitude of sins. Because we found God's grace, forgiveness, and healing in our lives, me and Al travel over the country, everywhere, to tell others about his goodness. The hope that we find in Jesus, his deliverance in our lives, and that just because it seems that our destiny, all of our destinies, was certain to be a life of drugs or alcohol or sexual sin, sometimes things that were perpetrated onto us by someone else, unplanned pregnancy, adultery, pornography, murder, immorality, debauchery, lying, cheating, stealing, homosexuality, wild living. It doesn't mean that God cannot change your path of destruction and darkness into his light of salvation. When we see God's light in the dark place, we see hope come alive. We see lives changed, restored. We see families come together right here at the cross to pray. I've seen so many of you come today right here to pray. We see Jesus in lives that Satan has destined for destruction. We can overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by giving our lives without fear to share the gospel even to our death. So tell your story. Give God the glory. Always have grace and mercy on your lips. And live your best life. Now you see why I wanted her to share that with you. So we all have that opportunity today to live our best life. And the reason I wanted Lisa to share that with you is we're never that far removed, any of us, from what we shared in that text. So even if you're brand new here, you think, well, who was that? Was that one of the leaders of your church? Yeah. We're just people. We're just sinners who found the grace of God here in this place. Nobody's better than anybody here. We're sinners who found Jesus. That's who we are. Father, we appeal to your grace, your power, but we do it in humility because of who you are. Father, you... (laughs) You've loved us so deeply. And when I think about what you've done through that cross and through Jesus and his sacrifice, we are humbled to know that love that is so deep and so wide, so low and so high that there's no place that we can go that you can't reach us. 
And we're so thankful for that, Father. We're so thankful for the mercy and the blessing. And so today, Father, I pray for hearts, whether they're here in this room, whether they're in our bigger room next door, whether they're somewhere across this this world, this, this country that's been participating in our assembly this morning, that has reached in and touched, because maybe... Maybe they have been, Satan has done his number. Maybe he has held on to a heart. Maybe someone has went to that place where they've lost their way. Or maybe they've never made that first step to you. And so they've been waiting for this moment to let go. And like Lisa, they just, they, they feel like they're just saying, God, if you're there, if you're real, I just, I need, I need you now. And now is the time. Now's the time to open and embrace and submit and to say, yes, I can. I want that. I want that love and that mercy. I want that redemption, that forgiveness, and that peace. I want to say no to Satan and what he's been doing and say yes to salvation. I want to say yes to you, Jesus. And now is that time. Father, for those hearts. I pray they're open to you today. And I pray, Father, that you will guide those hearts to you in this moment. Thank you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a need, if you need to come forward, if you want someone to pray for you, why don't you do that while we stand and while we sing?